Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome, Nationals fans, and it's our final West Coast Dogcast till September. Thank God. I'm your host, Blake Finney, and I'm single-handedly funding the iced coffee industry this week. Joining me this week is one of our contributors at District On Deck, Ross Schimberg. How are you doing, Ross? I'm doing just fine. How are you? Not too bad. Like I said, very, very tired, and uh, thankfully I was on the West Coast for the last one of these, not dying at one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's how it's better being at the games. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, certainly a lot of fun out there, and I would say a lot warmer, but it's actually warmed up finally on the East Coast. Yes, it has, thankfully. <laughs> uh, so Ross is here to look over the Padre series, and then we're going to look ahead to the Diamondback series coming up this weekend, or in two hours even. So first off, looking back at the Padre series, obviously we had the 8-5 win on Monday that the bullpen tried to throw away a bit. We had Helixson's perfect game bid uh, that came out with a 4-0 win in the end and the narrow loss yesterday. So did you have a particular player of the series, Ross? particular player is, I mean, Matt Adams. He was just really, really, he keeps hitting. I can't believe it. He keeps hitting. He's, I think one of the would be surprised of the season for the Nationals this season. But he had five RBIs in the first game, and he's, he's been a blessing, I'll say that, a blessing for the Nationals. Yeah, I think Adam, coming into this season, Adam Lynn set the bar quite high as well, and everyone thought, well, as long as we get someone who does more or less what Adam Lynn did, then we're going to be okay. But, yeah, he's completely exceeded those expectations. That's a great point. I forgot about Adam Lindon. I was mad that the Nationals could <laughs> at least try to resign him. But yeah, Matt Adams has exceeded, I think, what Adam Lind did in his time at the National. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Rendon's new uh, best friend went three for eight with two home runs. But uh, one of the questions around that is, is he going to supplant Ryan Zimmerman? He went four for seven, too, in the series. So how do you see that playing time playing out? I I, I hope he does, honestly. I don't know how popular that answer is within the Nationals fan base because Zimmerman, I mean, he is the face of the franchise for, what, the last 13 years? Uh, Matt Adams is just playing better. And until Zimmerman can show that he can hit right-handed pitching, I think Adams should be in the lineup. Yeah, I think right now it's definitely going the way of just a straight traditional platoon where – I was looking at the stats the other day, and Ryan Zimmerman's actually hitting left-handers pretty well. He's over 300 despite his average that's hovering around the Mendoza line. Yeah, I even wrote an article about that a week or two ago. I can't remember, but, yeah, I'm definitely in favor of a platoon split. And if Adams can show that he can hit lefties at even a decent rate and Zimmerman just keeps declining, I mean, it all bodes well for Adams. But, yeah, I like the platoon split idea. Yeah, definitely. Um, for my player of the series, again, there were quite a few good candidates. Um, but I I actually went with Jeremy Hellickson. I've been a, a huge fan of what he can bring. I think I was one of the only 
only people that was excited when we signed him to actually be the fifth start because we saw him in in his first year in Philadelphia and he was actually reasonably good, albeit he was trying to be their ace and he's not that good. But to fill in as a number five, I think the Nationals are doing pretty well and I wrote about it this week. So what have you thought to Hellickson so far? Well, I, I think Hellickson's been, I mean, again, one of those uh, blessings of the season, I suppose. I remember... It was, I think, a Sunday night baseball. It was either his first or second start. And a family member texted me saying, who is Hellickson? And I said, a new pickup. He's terrible. <laughs> and so that, I was dead wrong about that. Um, he's just been phenomenal. <laughs> I don't know whether he'll forgive you for ruining the perfect game by watching the, the hit in the seventh. Yeah, that was my fault. I, I saw on Twitter... That he was uh, six innings, perfect game, so I turned it on and uh, right there, gave up a hit to Jankowski. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I did you any favours by uh, retweeting that on the District on Deck account, and I think you had a few people coming at you. <laughs> no, I, just, I no. deserved it. That's okay. <laughs> um, I think it's been a theme of this year that the starting rotation has been performing really well. Is that a theme that you've noticed as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I actually looked it up, and the Nats starters, they're averaging about six innings per start, which is the third best in the league. I mean, with the bullpen the way that it is, you need the starters to go deep in games, and they're doing just that. Yeah, it's not always about going deep. It's about doing it effectively, and that's exactly what they've done. I think they're top five in the National League in starters ERA as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. I mean, Sure, they're doing what he's doing. Strasburg, Geo, Roark—they're all pretty steady. Uh, you can't really ask for much more. Yeah. So the last point that we wanted to touch on on the Padre series—I uh, think we all knew it was coming—is the bullpen. Uh, it's, uh, it's definitely flashbacks of last year at times. Albeit it's it's the middle of the bullpen that's faltering, not the back end. Obviously, we've got the back end locked down with Doolittle, and then. Madsen and Kintzer have been doing well, but uh, what have you made to that so far? It's been and certainly one of the weak points. Yeah, I, the Nats, I mean, the one thing that stuck out to me is the Nats keep rolling out Carlos Torres, and he keeps getting hit. I don't know if he's had a start this season that's been completely clean. So I, I don't know what's up with Torres, but um, I am liking under square. I mean, uh, it's a 19, space, 19 batters, and he's allowed three hits and three walks, and he's gone more than an inning in three of his last uh, three out of those four outings. So I'm going to be looking at him as maybe a key player to watch uh, in the next coming weeks. Yeah, I think with the faltering Trevor got Carlos Torres, he's definitely someone that could step up as kind of the guy to come in in tied games or if one of the big three needs a night off, then he could step in in the seventh. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so on that point, are there any particular targets that you have in mind going forward? Obviously, we're, well, we, we're about just under three months from the trade deadline, but is there anyone you've got your eye on uh, that you would like the Nationals to trade for? Not particularly. I'm not too familiar with the, uh, the bullpen names. I know they've, they, they fluctuate, I suppose, year to year based on who is hot and who is not. But you've mentioned Brad Hand before. 
and he's a good name for the Nets to target. He's got, I think, 10 saves this season. So if they can get him for a decent price, I wouldn't hate it. I don't know what the asking price would be, but he's somebody the Nets can look at. Yeah, I think he's got three years of control, so he's the kind of player that Mike Rizzo would uh, would target with all that control and actually be willing to give up some prospects for compared to just a rental. Because uh, when we saw when we got Mark Melanson, albeit we were getting a lights out closer at the time, we um, I think we explored a lot of other options before going down that route. Um, for me personally, I'm looking at someone like Kelvin Herrera potentially to shore up the back end. Um, but Drew, uh, our former site expert, has been talking about Craig Stammen, and we got a glimpse of him this series. Is that something you'd be for? Yeah, a reunion would be nice. He can keep pitching well. Yeah, the the thing that strikes me is what they need is they need someone who's going to go multiple innings when they're behind rather than the high-end guys. Because obviously the high-end guys are going to come at a massive cost. But if you can get a Craig Stammen for a very minor prospect, then you're immediately helping that bullpen out. Because the only reliever who's got extensive experience going multiple innings is... Carlos Torres, and we've already expressed our feelings on him. <laughs> and Matt Grace, but he is currently unavailable. Yeah, it's true. Um, the other names I've got noted down is Zach Britton and Brad Brack from the Orioles, but uh, I don't think Peter Angelos would be particularly happy with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now we're going to look ahead to the Diamondback series. So far, they're 24-12. and 12. They've got the best record in the National League. Uh, they're also first in the National League in ERA and batting average against, which is unfamiliar territory for the Diamondbacks. Usually they've been an offensive team having a nice hitter-friendly park at Chase Field. Uh, so in their last series against the Dodgers, they had just a short two-game set on Tuesday and Wednesday. They won the opener 8-5 in 12 innings. They hit four home runs, including a go-ahead home run from Daniel Descalso in the 12th inning. And they also lost 6-3 on Wednesday, where, bizarrely, they allowed the Dodgers to score via two wild pitches, a sack fly, and a hit-by-pitch. That's, uh, that's some Bush League stuff there. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> uh, so, have you got any players to watch, obviously, the Nats? Got a look at them a couple of weeks ago, but anyone this time around that you're particularly keeping an eye on? Uh, I'll take the boring answer and just say AJ Pollock. I mean, he's their best player this season, despite Paul Goldschmidt probably being the more uh, familiar name to most people. But uh, Pollock's been crushing the Nats pitching. Uh, Roark, Max, Strauss, all pitchers that will that uh, that he will see. He's three for ten versus Roark. He's hit a home run against Scherzer and a home run against Strasburg. Um, he's got a six six nine uh, slugging percentage. He's third in the MLB in WAR. He's been fantastic them this season after coming off of an injury riddled half couple of seasons I believe. Yeah, I think he was he was on his way to being a, a rising star in twenty sixteen, but then obviously he missed a lot of last season with an injury. Mm-hmm. Um for me I'm looking at that Grenke obviously we're gonna see him tonight, I think. Yeah. Um he's an interesting one where he's lost about two miles an hour in his velocity but He's actually still been serviceable, and some of the peripherals are indicating that he can do even better. He's got a 4.10 ERA so far, but 
his fielding in the independent pitching is 3.67, a 1.1 whip, and then he's got 10 strikeouts per nine innings, which for someone who's throwing their fastball undernight is pretty impressive. For sure, yeah. I was looking at his numbers earlier, and there, I mean, even he has a 3.03 xFIP, which uh, normalizes the home run rate, so that's extremely elite. And his walks are also way down, so that always helps. Yeah, he's. Uh, I still remember his days in Kansas City when he was throwing about 95. Um, so it'll be interesting to watch him tonight and how he's developed as he's gotten older and if he'll work the zone, get some of that moving stuff that he needs to rely on now that he's getting a bit older. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally for the Diamondbacks, we've got uh, Brad Brock's box to it. Yeah, Boxberger. <laughs> Too many Bs. Um, and then Archie Bradley, who are forming a deadly duo at the back end of the bullpen. They've got 13 saves and 13 holds between them. And I'm surprised that Archie Bradley didn't take the closer role this spring. Is that something that you're surprised about, having seen him? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, he was great for them toward the end of last season and then into the postseason. I believe he was pitching multiple innings in the postseason, if I'm not mm. mistaken. But he's transitioned to the reliever role, and he's been fantastic. Yeah, I think he was doing the Andrew Miller or now Josh Hader role and going two innings where needed, just um, becoming that pitcher. And it's something that's definitely growing into the game this year more than ever, having probably your best relief pitcher not closing out games and going multiple innings at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that started with Andrew Miller in the uh, the postseason a couple seasons ago. We saw Frank Tona, I think, used him in like the fifth inning of one of the World Series games when he needed the stop. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think the Nationals necessarily have someone like that. I don't know if they want to start moving Doolittle around. Obviously, we had no. there was the article on MLB.com saying he's probably the best reliever in baseball right now based on all the peripheral stats, but would you? I guess you wouldn't be a fan based on your uh, murmurs just then. No, I don't think the Nets can really afford to move him down into like the fifth or sixth inning. Uh, I think that would be more of a Kinsler or Madsen type of role if they want to go there. But, yeah, not right now, I don't think. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And also, you haven't got an absolute lockdown guy to go to the ninth. Kinsler and Madsen have been doing okay, but they've each had bad stretches this season. So it would be a matter of would you be comfortable having them in the ninth and letting Doolittle go two innings? Yeah, and that's the difference between this national team and I think the Indian team in 2006. Their bullpen was loaded. They had Andrew Miller, uh, Shaw they had. I know I'm missing a few names, but they had a really good bullpen that year, which let Terry Francona mix and match where he wanted to uh, insert his players. Mm. So on the national side, is there anyone that you're particularly keen to see? Is it going to be uh, your best friend, Matt Adams, again? Definitely Matt Adams. And I'm looking to see if also uh, Michael Taylor and Ryan Zimmerman, if they can snap their cold streak. I want you to throw Bryce Harper in there as well. Uh, He has not been good. He's, I guess, worthy of criticism. But... Yeah, I want to see some of these guys start breaking their cold streaks against uh, some pretty good pitchers, actually, that the Diamondbacks have. Yeah, I 
Taylor's definitely someone I've got circled. He's in a one for 21 stretch at the moment and definitely falling probably even below the Taylor that we saw kind of 2016, 2015. And I wonder with, we've got three righties and the dreaded TBD on Saturday. I wonder if we might see Andrew Stevenson take over in centre. Obviously, he's starting in left tonight, but maybe you bring Defoe back in, shift Kendrick to left and put Stevenson in centre. For sure, it's worth trying. Uh, on the subject of Stevenson, have you been a, a fan of his so far? Or obviously, we've seen the retooled swing that he worked on with Kevin Long over the off-season. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty neutral on Stevenson. I've never been the biggest fan. I've never been, never, like, dang it, Stevenson's in the lineup today. I mean, I just think he needs a little more time developing. If that is getting him in the lineup against righties, I'm all for it. The Nationals can, uh, can always use the help. Yeah, I think especially with the way that the outfield's banged up, Eaton's gone to uh, Wisconsin for a second opinion on his ankle, so we might be without Adam Eaton for quite a bit quite a bit longer. So it's definitely worth getting a look at Stevenson, even if it's just to kind of evaluate where the outfield pieces are when someone like Brian Goodwin comes back, who could be a week or two away. Um, so... Rendon came back. Was it at the start of the Padres series or the series before? I can't remember. But um, that leaves a, a little log jam there. We touched on it before about Defoe, Kendrick, Matt Ad- I think Matt Adams has earned his way into pretty, like, about 80% of the starting time now. So who do you think is going to get squeezed out more from Rendon coming back? Is it going to be Defoe or Kendrick? I think it might be Howie Kendrick. I mean, he's been really steady with his time with the Nationals, with his time with the Nationals. But, uh, I mean, got to go with the hot bat, I got to think. And that's Wilmer Defoe. He had like a nine-game hitting streak that got snapped during the Padres series. And he plays really good defense. And I think you have to get his bat into the lineup. Yeah, he's um, he's sitting out for the second time in three games tonight. But I think the other, the other thing is Defoe is – not as good of a pinch hitter as Howie Kendrick. And you wonder if that might factor into it somewhere. Yeah, I did hear that. And I think you may have mentioned that on the last podcast. But, yeah, it's definitely uh, worth seeing. Hmm. So, tonight's lineup, we've got Harper leading off, Turner, at set, Turner batting second at shortstop, Rendon, Matt Adams, Howie Kendrick, Matt Wheat is still in there. Um that's another situation where is that another one where you could see a potential platoon with Wheaters and Severino? I don't think so. I think Matt Wheaters should be getting the majority of the playing time unless he really just takes a nosedive just because of how good he is with the pitching staff. And he, he's always good for, uh, tw- what, 20 home runs in a season? I mean, 15 to 20? I think he, I think he should keep his bat in the lineup as much as possible. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I've been really impressed with Severino, and I wonder if this may be the time to get him in the lineup more. Obviously, I don't think the Nationals are going to try and keep Wheaters beyond this season. Um, so now is probably the time to play Severino and reevaluate where he is at the major league level. Obviously, they tried to do that in spring training; it didn't work. But he came up and played his socks off. 
Yeah, for sure. In the Nationals, they have a lot of different lineup combinations. It's a good problem to have, I would say, but it's still a problem nonetheless. Yeah, you got to get some of the hot bats, and thankfully, uh, the Nationals are one of the hotter teams in, um, well, one of the hotter hitting teams. Maybe not necessarily bullpen pitching uh, in baseball right now. I think they lead MLB in runs scored in May. So, yeah, you got to find a way to get all those bats in. So now we're going to look at each of the matchups coming up individually. So first up in just over two hours, we've got Zach Greinke taking on Tanner Roark. Tanner Roark two and three with a three six five ERA, and Zach Greinke three and two with a four ten ERA. So what are you watching out for in this one? My X factor for this game is Tanner Roark. I think he needs to have a really good game, and I think he can. Uh, he elevated his strikeout rate. Uh, although his home run rate is a little bit higher, um, more strikeouts for Tanner Roark is always a good thing. He's been a better pitcher with more strikeouts. Um, he, I, just looking at his pitches, he throws his fastball and the curveball combo. That's what he really needs to do tonight. And just looking at the Diamondback hitters against Roark's type of fastball, EJ Pollock is the only guy that I'd be really concerned about. You still, I mean, you still have Paul Goldschmidt in there, but. I think this is an advantageous spot for Roark. Yeah, he's. Um, I think he's going to swing this one. Um, depends what Tanner Roark you get, and I think AJ Pollock's a threat for everyone, not necessarily just <laughs> just Tanner Roark this season. Um, but he has a Tanner Roark has an ERA above five in both the third and fourth inning, so it seems like he works through the first couple, but then. When he gets in the middle, he may struggle a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's definitely, and, it's definitely a boomer bust matchup. Just looking at the Diamondbacks as a team, they rank fourth in terms of the teams that strike out the most. They strike out at a 25.2% clip as a team, but they also have uh, the sixth highest ISO rating, which is isolated power. So they're either going to strike out or they're going to hit for extra bases. And I think one of the interesting points is um, Zach Greinke pitching really well at home. He's got a five and uh, no, I'm looking at the wrong one. He's two and zero oh with a one eight five ERA at home. And given he's got a four point ten ERA, that's quite a wide difference, especially at Chase Field, which is usually a hitter's haven, probably because of the temperature. Mm-hmm. And this season, the Chase Field introduced the humidor, which is supposed to benefit pitchers. Uh, very well, yeah. and Greinke even last year was pitching w- uh, much better at home than on the road. So, I mean, the humidor is only going to benefit Greinke. Yeah. So, in terms of a prediction, this one, I think I've got the Diamondbacks taking this one. I think having that Greinke home stat, and he's also five and one with a 1.49 ERA and seven career starts against the Nats, which is quite scary. So I think I've got the Diamondbacks winning this one. How about you, Ross? Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, you know, like you said, you never know which role arc you're going to get. And so I think the Diamondbacks, they'll probably take this game. So on Friday at 9.40 p.m. Eastern time, it's kind of the opposite way around. You have another lopsided matchup. So you have... Max Scherzer, who's six and one with a one seven four ERA, uh, against Matt Cock, and I'm going to try not to immaturely giggle there. Uh, obviously, 
Max Scherzer, the former Diamondbacks pitcher, he was nine and fifteen with a three eight six ERA in Arizona. Um, so, what do you make of this Scherzer homecoming? I'm actually looking at the other way. I'm looking at Matt Cockin is how bad of a pitcher he is. I mean, he has a two seven zero ERA in his career, but a four point one five fielding independent pitching, which suggests that he's due for some negative regression. And he doesn't strike anybody out, and he allows 40% hard contact rate. So I think the Nationals are going to just tee off on him. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. You you look at all of the stats, you think uh, he's not good, and then you look at the top level stats. He's two and over the two one three ERA, and he's had three quality starts in his four starts this season, which is a bit strange. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, eventually that the regression is going to hit. It's just a matter of when. And I hope I would, as Nats fans, I hope it hits uh, on Friday. Yeah, he's he's also had one appearance against the Nats in 2016, and he dominated. Well, dominated. He um, five innings pitched, two runs, one hit, one walk in a 4-2 loss. So it's it's a weird one, and you have to go with Scherzer, but. I don't know. The, <laughs> the top-level stats make you think, is he still going to continue this? I don't want to say luck, but continue a nice run. I mean, all signs point to yes. I have no reason to doubt Scherzer I mean, until he starts to show a sign of weakness. Yeah, he's um, he's been, <laughs> he's been pretty incredible. And we had... Um, We've got an article coming out tomorrow ahead of this start from Brian about is this the best Scherzer it's ever been? And he looks at that and it's definitely up there with how he's pitching at the moment. Yeah, for sure. He's, I, I wrote in the game recap that uh, for Scherzer's 15, or 15 strikeout game that he's pitching the best ball of his career. He just seems to be getting better with age. Yeah, and so, somehow the velocity is still there, which even when that goes, he's still got the wipeout slide of the curveball and the change-up to help him through. So I think even if age does catch up over the next few years, it's going to be a nice graceful decline for him. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think we both tipped our hand there saying that we think Scherz is going to win. Uh, and then on Saturday, Hazar, an early game. It's 4.05 p.m., uh, we have Steven Strasburg against the dreaded TBD. It would have been former Nationals prospect Robbie Ray, but he went on the DL. Um, in terms of options for the Diamondbacks here, we may end up seeing Clay Buckholes. He pitched on Tuesday for AAA Reno, uh, so it would be somewhat short rest, but the alternatives aren't pretty. So the main alternative other than Buckholes would be Taylor Clark, who leads Reno in innings pitch, but he's got a two and five record with a five nine one ERA. Uh, and then I guess the final option is Johnny Holstaff, and it'll probably be spearheaded by Jorge De La Rosa, who has experience starting, but he's not particularly stretched out this season. So, what do you make of this one? Is this another one where you're heavily favouring the Nationals? I think so. One other name I heard that I saw on Fangraphs was Chris Medlin. He had a spot start a couple days ago, but if he started on Saturday, it would also be on short rest. So I don't know what the Diamondbacks are going to do. 
But I think it favors the Nationals because the Arizona bullpen, they're actually gassed right now. They had, I think you mentioned, the 12-inning game against the Dodgers a couple of nights ago, and every single pitcher in the bullpen pitched that game. And then four more did the following night. So if the Nats can get to the bullpen on Friday, they're going to be in a great spot to win Saturday as well. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, that having um, having the bullpen work, and if they get to them early in the series, then that may even affect what they do on Saturday. Because if they get a couple of dominant performances from Grenke and um, Immature Giggle name, um, they may have to call someone up from AAA rather than try and work through it with the likes of De La Rosa. Um, I think they might might put Bradley out for a couple of innings like we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yes. I guess you didn't really mention in the first game, but yeah, if Granke is on his game, we might see him go seven or maybe even eight innings to try and spell the bullpen. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a, a key um, key thing to watch tonight in terms of the rest of the series. Uh, and with Steven Strasburg, he's four and three with a three five two ERA. It does feel like he's not quite got out of second gear yet this season. Um, but potentially this could be a way to kickstart. He's been slightly better on the road this year with a 2.66 ERA away from home. So is that one of the things that you're looking out for? I know me and Brian talked about it on the last podcast, thinking, oh, it's the Padres. This is time to really make a push for it. And we saw the same Strasbourg again. Yeah, I mean, Strasbourg, I mean, I guess in terms of Major League pitching has been good, but in terms of Strasburg's standard, he's been a little uh, on the downside. But, I mean, all of his peripherals look good, except for his home run to fly ball rate, which is 13th in the MLB at 19%. So that needs to come down. I think the stats, like from uh, one of the Washington Post writers, he's allowed like eight or nine homers this season when he allowed 14 or 13 all of last season. Something like that. I don't know the exact numbers, but he's allowing home runs at an alarming rate. So that needs to come down. But other than that, he's pitching very, very well. Yeah, like I said, it it feels like he needs to get out of second gear. And obviously, we've been used to seeing Strasburg, who, say he pitches seven innings on a night, he'll have five absolutely dominant innings. He'll sit him down one, two, three. And then it's those two innings where everything seems to snowball and the home runs don't help that. No, they don't. So, how do you see this one going? I have a just a hunch you might be going with Strasbourg and the Nationals. Yeah, I think you have to since I mean we don't know who's going for the Diamondbacks, and if it is a starter, he's not going to be a good starter. So, I'm going to lean with Strasbourg and the Nats. I think um, the it falls quite well for the Nationals in this series, where you have Scherzer and Strasbourg facing off against. Cock and some AAA guy or Johnny Hole stuff. So that's a nice way to really make yourself, uh, put yourself in a favorable, favorable position to pick up at least a split against the tough opponent. Definitely. So finally on Sunday, we're back on Sunday Night Baseball for the third time this season. I think we must have appeared on it three times the whole of last season. Uh, we have Zach Godley facing off against Jeremy Hellickson. So Jeremy Hellickson finally got his first decision as a national. Uh, 1-0 with a 2-2-8 ERA. And Zach Godley, 3-2 with a 
3838 RA. Uh, obviously, this is Jeremy Hellickson's second Sunday night start. He loves the spotlight. Um, so what do you make to Jeremy Hellickson so far? We touched on it in the Padre series review, obviously, with the perfect game bid, but kind of on a deeper level, is he someone who's going to carry this the whole season, do you think? He might. I was actually looking into his stats and what alarmed me, or not alarmed, but I saw that his ground ball rate is actually a lot better than it was last season. Last season it was at 34.9%, which compared to this season's stats would be nearly dead last among among qualified starters. But now it's up to 46.1%, which is about league average, maybe a little bit higher. Uh, The thing that's going to handicap him, what's been said, is he can't pitch uh, the third time around in the order. Uh, first time and second time around, he, he's elite, but the third time around, he, he really is just getting shelled. And so that's going to cap his upside, but he's still a really solid fifth starter to have. I do wonder whether at some point David Martinez is going to give him the chance to at least start going through the the order a third time. We obviously saw against the Pirates a couple of starts ago where he was still cruising. I think he'd allowed three hits in that game at that point. But as soon as Adam Fraser got on to lead off the third time around the order, he hooked him out. Do you think he could give him a chance to work through any issues with the third time through the order? I was joking with one of my friends earlier today that the only way Hellickson's going to go more than three times around the order if he's carrying a perfect game into the seventh or eighth. I think it's it's something he'll have to get past when he's presented the opportunity, but as of now, I don't think it's that viable of an option. Hmm. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch because I don't think it's something that you can keep going the whole season long. If you're going to keep doing that, maybe at some point you see a six-man rotation in order to um, keep everyone fresh. Yeah, that's an option. Do we know when Joe Ross is coming back? Is he an option uh, for the summer, or is he like confirmed I, not coming back? I think they're hopeful they can get him back in August, so that would be ideal. I don't know whether he would actually be able to build up his arm strength in time to come back to the rotation, but it would be a nice arm to have out the bullpen, at the very least, as a as a long man. Yeah, somebody on Nationals Twitter was talking about how Joe Ross would be a great long man for the bullpen. Yeah, what AJ AJ Cole tried to do and miserably failed at. Yeah, I think we um, I had high hopes as AJ for AJ Cole as a long man, and we saw how that panned out. Not well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was, he um, he had the same thing as Helixson, where first and second time through the order, he'd previously been quite good, but it was the third time that. Um, they got him rocked, obviously, this season. He was getting rocked every single time he faced someone. Um, yeah. But I do think that he does deserve a chance, and potentially if it gets to that point and the Nationals have a large lead, because obviously against the Pirates, I think they were one run up, and against the Padres, they were two up. Uh, That's a so good point. It didn't, they didn't want to take a chance on it as soon as uh, a couple of base runners reached, but... If they have a 8 nothing lead, maybe they do let them go through the 6th, 7th inning and try and give that bullpen a bit of a rest. Yeah, for sure. That's a good plan. I didn't, I didn't realize that both of those games were 
for great pitches, pitches duels. The Pirates game with Trevor Williams and last night with Lucchese. Hmm. Not, yeah. Well, Lucchese was pitching last night and it wasn't Hellickson, but it was, a it close was the game. night before against night before against Clayton Richard, who me and Brian Clayton Richard, Richard for being a ter- for being terrible. So obviously he went out and dealt against the Nats. They're both lefties. That's why. <laughs> that's why I got them yeah, we haven't we haven't talked about the other pitcher in this matchup, Zach Godley, who actually had quite a good good year last year. Um, but again, he's another one of these pitchers that, for the Diamondbacks who's doing really well at home. He's two and one with a one nine six ERA at home. So it could be another pitcher still that Jer- Jeremy Hellickson is a part of. What do you make to Zach Godley? I'm a fan of Zach Godley, um, although this season. He's walking a lot more hitters. He has a 4.05 walks per nine innings, which is really, really bad. So the consistency there is shaky, but he's had a really, really good curveball. And as you mentioned last season, 3.37 ERA, 3.41 fielding independent pitching. I think he's got some good upside with a decent, uh, well, not decent, but above average strikeout rate. But we'll see what happens with the season if he can keep keep the walks down. Yeah, it's it's a tough one to predict. You've got two pitchers who are generally quite good, but they've also got their little weaknesses that could hold them back. So how do you see it going? I think in this one, after I predicted this sweep on the on the last podcast, I'm hesitant to predict the National Series win. So I think I'm going to go with the Diamondbacks and Helix and to regret a bit because I don't think he's this good of a pitcher with a two-odd ERA. So, I have the Diamondbacks. Do you have a prediction? Yeah, I'll give a slight edge to the Diamondbacks. Uh, I don't know if the Nationals are that are good enough to take a series in Arizona, but I think they'll give them a run for their money. Yeah. Yeah, this, uh, this matchup could go either way. So, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Nationals come out with a series win. Obviously, I'll be delighted because Again, beating the best team in uh, the National League right now at their home ballpark would be quite an achievement. Yeah, for sure. And uh, tonight's game is definitely going to set the tone. We talked about the bullpen, and if the Nats can steal one against that cranky, it sets up really well for them to get a series win. Hmm. Uh, so our final part of the podcast, we're going to answer the listener question. So we've got the one this week. Uh, the Nationalist Post asked, how big has this recent stretch of winning been? Uh, he says it's very much needed from his point of view. So, again, they've been uh, they've won the last three series uh, and overtaken the Mets, which, if you ask the overreactive fans in mid-April, was never going to happen. Uh, so what do you make of it? I think it's huge. I mean, I, knew, I think we all knew the Mets would not sustain their rate of winning. But, I mean, the Mets and Nationals have just gone in complete opposite directions. It's almost like we're back to preseason uh, with the expectations. I mean, the uh, playoff probability graphs on Fangraphs, at the start of the season, the Nats and Mets were almost uh, tied for postseason burst uh, probability. But now it's, uh, there's a wide gap between the two teams. Hmm. Yeah, I think at the very least, even though the Nationals are still – just a couple games over 500 at the very least it's getting people to think right this is uh 
this is a lot better than it looked before. We're still missing Eaton, Murphy, and a couple others. So it's setting us up for um, going on a run if everyone can get healthy kind of start of June time. Yeah, I think everyone knew that this team is too talented to be a 500-ball club. I think some of the guys in the post-game interviews were saying that as well, that they're too talented to not be playing as well as they should have been in uh, now in early, in early May as opposed to late April. Yeah, it definitely, look, definitely looks a lot better. Like I said, we're in striking range of the Braves who do somewhat scare me a bit. Are they a team that you're going to be watching that actually push the Nats all the way through till September? It depends on their young guys. They got uh, Acuna and Ozzy Albies. Those two, they've been, I mean, nothing short of phenomenal. I think the pitching staff for the Braves is what will limit them. But if their offense can carry them with Freddie Freeman and Ender and Ciarte, they could be a team to watch out for. Yeah, I think... I think they're a year ahead of schedule. I think they were hoping to be kind of anticipating potentially the end of Bryce Harper in uh, in DC. But yeah, they're definitely a team that do worry me and could stick around. But we've talked about it before. It could benefit the Nationals to have some actual competition going into late September. Yeah, for sure. I know that was mentioned last year that they hadn't played a competitive baseball game in a month, and that may have hurt them. Uh, against the Dodgers. But the Dodgers mm. last year, it's been a really long time. This is the Cubs. I honestly can't Yeah, there's, uh, all, all those Game 5 heartbreaks just merge into one. Yeah. You know, the blue jerseys, famous ballparks, <laughs> it's all a blur. Yeah. So that more or less wraps us up for this week. Uh, I want to say thanks to Ross for joining me. Uh, I'm pretty sure quite a few of our listeners will know where to find you, but just tell um, tell everyone else who doesn't. You can find my work, as always, on District on Deck, and you can follow me on Twitter at Ross Schinberg. Yeah. Um, he will usually tweet out some stats, or you'll know when Josh Tomlin is pitching from Ross's tweets. Of course, always. Yeah. <laughs> um, so some of our content on the site this week. Uh, obviously, I talk, um, talked about some of Brian's work. We've got Scher, his piece on Scherzer and is this the best he's pitched coming out tomorrow. Uh, he also questioned whether Gio should be left in his, in his starts any longer, obviously. He's been the Nationals' workhorse for six years now. Um, and he looked at whether Davey Martinez is making the right choice there. I looked at the trajectory of recently promoted one side. Oh, I Definitely knew that was coming in time, that piece, to come out today. Uh, he's now promoted the double-A Harrisburg. So before I let you go, Ross, what do you make of Juan Soto? Do you think he's going to be someone that could potentially fill the void of Bryce Harper next year? Next year? I don't know. Is that too soon? I'm not up to speed on a lot of the minor leaguers. He was just promoted from high A ball, correct? Yeah, high A to double-A. Uh, I'd like to see how he does it how he does in double-A first, but, um, I mean, he's touted among all the minor league prospect websites and among the national fan base, so I'd love to see what he can do in the higher levels of the minor league. Yeah, I don't, don't want to give away my uh, my story too much, but I think he's definitely on on the fast track to the big, per se, so I don't think we'll see him this year, even though some people are clamoring for it. I want to see how he does in double-A. He's got 
He's got about half a season to prove himself there. Maybe even get up to Syracuse before the end of the year. But I think he's on a similar path to Ronald Acuna. So, um, kind of get AAA, establish himself there and be someone that the Nats can call on at the start of next season. That would be great if you could play like Ronald Acuna. <laughs> yeah. So, once again, remember to follow us on Twitter at District on Deck. Give us a like on Facebook, uh, District on Deck. You can follow us on Blog Talk Radio and get a nice email reminder when we're about to go live. You can also subscribe on iTunes and get our episodes automatically downloaded for you to your Apple device. Uh, and we'll be back on Monday before the Yankee series. We've nearly made it to the end of the late night. Only two more to go. We'll hope to see you next time. In this world of nonstop news, it's important local journalists cut through the noise so you know what really matters. Hi, everyone. I'm Phil Lipoff. And I'm Shannon Malaire. In our community in Boston, you are the driving force behind our stories every night. Our investigators team is constantly creating change that impacts all of us. And NBC10 response Leslie Gatiss is ready to fight for your retail rights. Plus experience and accuracy, Pete Bouchard brings you the forecast like no one else. It's your news, and we're here to tell it. NBC10 Boston, weeknights at 6, 7, and 11. In this world of nonstop news, it's important local journalists cut through the noise so you know what really matters. Hi, everyone. I'm Phil Lippoff. And I'm Shannon Malaire. In our community in Boston, you are the driving force behind our stories every night. Our investigators team is constantly creating change that impacts all of us. And NBC10 response Leslie Gatiss is ready to fight for your retail rights. Plus experience and accuracy, Pete Bouchard brings you the forecast like no one else. It's your news, and we're here to tell it. NBC10 Boston, weeknights at 6, 7, and 11.